All right, hello everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Gonzo Film Reviews. I have a interview today with Daniel Hess. He is an author, and um, I'm going to let him introduce himself, give some background about his early life and um, what he's been working on, so that you guys all know um, basically the reason I invited him on. So I'll let you take it away, man. Yeah, so hey everybody, my name is Daniel Hess. I am an author and a filmmaker um, based in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, born and raised here uh, and just been trying to live life and be creative despite, you know, struggles, setbacks, all that good stuff. Uh, and yeah, that's just me in a very, very brief nutshell. <laughs> awesome, well, thank you. Um mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to know too is um what was it what was it like for you growing up? Were you in Baltimore your whole life? Yeah, so growing up for me was interesting. I'm I say Baltimore, but Baltimore is really kind of a catch all. Uh where I'm specifically at is called a place called Spares Point or Edgemere. It's weird, there's like different names for it, but it's basically the same area. And it's a very blue collar kind of place it actually kind of only exists because there was a steel plant here once upon a time so everyone who worked at the steel plant kind of just moved in because it was close and easy to get to work um and my grandfather that's why he came down here with my grandmother and aunts and uncles and stuff because uh, he worked at spares point steel mill and so that's kind of you know where the area came from but it it was kind of a good and a bad thing i mean on one hand it's a very quiet area you're on the water it's nice but on the other hand you do have this very rooted blue collar kind of community so being someone from more of a creative background has always been kind of a struggle just in the area itself because there's just not a lot of people that are in that field and especially for me, like with my family, you know, I'm the first one that's kind of gone into an art field, has more of a creative approach to life. So as you can imagine, like over the years, even when we have the family all together, conversations can be pretty tough because it's like, you know, I, I'm somebody that doesn't have the traditional nine to five. Like there's, it, it seems like it kind of escapes them sometimes, like the strange kind of life that you lead when you're a video maker and a freelance, you know, uh, filmmaker and also a writer. Um, but growing up, like, you know, our, our family was always really close. So, uh, I was really close with my cousin, um, who happened to have cystic fibrosis. Uh, and as we sort of grew up and stuff, we were really close friends and unfortunately, like, as he got older, the cystic fibrosis conditions that he dealt with were only kind of getting worse. And right around when he was 14, it was like right before the school year was out, uh, he ended up going into the hospital. And he was in a coma for quite a long time. And we were kind of, you know, going every day to visit and just really hoping for the best. But unfortunately... He ended up passing away. It was really like the... I remember the funeral and just going through all of that. And it was only 10 days before my 11th birthday. So I was 10 at the time when all of this happened. So I always kind of tell people that this was the moment where like childhood 
sort of end it for me. <laughs> you know, um, it was really a tough thing to have to see and realize, like, you know, that you do have this mortality and it doesn't really escape anybody, no matter their age. Um, and so that had a huge impact on my creativity and, and the types of creativity that sort of flowed out from there. Uh, a lot of it was trying to kind of escape from what was going on. And it became sort of like a home away from home. You know, it, it was like if I didn't want to communicate with anybody or kind of wanted to stay reserved, you know, I had this outlet that I could create stories in my mind or, you know, these different scenarios and just kind of let it all play out. And between that and dealing with my own kind of health conditions, being born with uh, a heart condition that sort of prevented me from doing too many things physically, especially as I got older, um, really kind of pushed me into a more academic type of range and a more creative type of range you know because being in a small community where a lot of it is focused on sports and things which I couldn't do uh, it, it really pushed me further into that realm and sort of shaped who I am in a major way at a young age you know yeah I'm sorry you had to go through that that's there's there's a lot of pain in there and there was one of your poems that I really liked was called uh, Scare Me. And some of the passages from that were, I want something to terrify me, a pinch in the night, a whisper in the dark. At least it would be a feeling and a way to have some emotion. So a lot of your writing seems like it comes from a place of, you know, uh, pain, but also dealing with the pain, finding ways to, to handle it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting that, like, the the writing has, you know, it started as a place of catharsis, and it sort of continually becomes that for me. Um, so, like, with my poetry collection, you know, that was really, like, from age about 24, 25, I just started kind of writing on my phone's notepad when I had these, like, I call them, like, little flashbulb moments um, where I was maybe in a situation or thinking or reflecting on something and I would just, you know, grab my phone and just write out a couple lines of a poem and, and then I'd have something. And honestly, like, for a long time it, it was something that I didn't even know what I was really doing with. Um, and I've unfortunately had this habit throughout my life of, like, having these creative explosions and then getting all this material and it just disappearing. So unfortunately, as much as I wish I had a lot of this stuff that I wrote when I was younger and when I was in my teenage years, it's all sort of gone away. Um, because like, you know, I would constantly go through the struggle of really feeling confident and like writing everything out, but then losing all of that confidence, feeling like it was kind of aimless what I was doing and then just kind of getting rid of things. So really what the phone allowed me to do was to not have that option. It just was always there in like the ether. So that sort of helped me along the way to collect all of these things to finally make something out of it. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I can't tell you how many things I've thrown away. Um, it's it's definitely a big problem, especially for people who aren't professional writers, but they really want to write something, is the confidence issue. So they throw things out, or they don't take opportunities that, in hindsight, they probably should have taken because they could have maybe refined it to the point. So how did you get to the finish line even though you had that habit of throwing things away. So really what kind of kept happening over the years was, you know, I would write these things out and occasionally I would share them with like friends and stuff like that. And as time went on, you know, I had more and more people kind of saying like, you know, this is, this is good. Like you're writing good stuff, you know, maybe you should think about doing something with it. And again, it was that like disconnect of saying like, well, what, what exactly do I do with this? Um, and just kind of feeling overwhelmed too. So it was like the first step was the confidence. The next step was feeling very overwhelmed because I'm just like, I have all these poems on my phone. How do I get them onto a page? And then even when I do that, how am I going to make sure there's no errors in things? How am I going to make sure that it's formatted right for print? Like, you, you really start breaking it down, and it kind of turns into this, like, oh, man, you know, how am I going to do all this? And you feel so overwhelmed that, again, you just kind of want to give up. And so even after kind of getting to this mental point where I was like, okay, I need to put this into a book, it was still wow, how is this even going to be, like, a possible thing? So what I'd say I've gotten a lot better with over the years is just kind of having that little bit of discipline to say, okay, it's just about breaking things down. So, you know, step one was writing it all out. So I had a day where I just sat with my phone and typed everything into a big giant Word document. And so I was like, okay, we got that. You know, and then the next step was, okay, how do we get it looked at? And I had a friend that I connected with who does editing, so I reached out to him and then let him take some time with it, give me notes, all that good stuff. And then after that, it was, you know, okay, how am I going to take this and format it? And, you know, thank goodness for things like Google and, and just being able to search around for that kind of stuff because I was able to find a person who could help with the formatting and help with like the cover layout and all that stuff. And then it really just became a matter of, okay, I have all of these materials now. It's just a matter of getting them onto a platform, you know, like what you have with self-publishing. So then it was researching, you know, how the Amazon Kindle program works and Ingram Spark. And those were kind of the two areas that I went in. And, you know, from there, it's just really copy and pasting files, looking through things as a proof, and then, you know, having something that's ready to print. But that's the way that it had to go down. You know, there's no other way I was going to get through all of that unless I would have had the time and the energy to say, step by step, here's what we're going to do, um... And a big part of that was honestly dealing with everything with the pandemic and stuff like that and, and having that extra time to not have an easy excuse to say, well, I just don't have time for that, you know, because all of that time was then there. 
So, you know, the combination of that, the combination of the discipline and just really kind of sitting down and, and just telling yourself, like, this is possible. Let's just not get overwhelmed with this whole situation. Because, like I said, it just I know a lot of people that have contacted me since that have wanted to, you know, self-publish and I'll give them every like every piece of advice I can, you know, every website to check out and most people still don't get to that finish line. And a lot of that I think is to do with like feeling a lack of confidence and then also getting overwhelmed. But both those barriers can be achieved. It's just a matter of, you know, maybe confiding in someone and saying like, "Hey, like I'm kind of questioning this. What do you think? Do you like what I'm doing?" And, you know, if that feedback is a positive one, or even if it's a negative one, you know, just continuing to move forward. Like you had kind of mentioned, like, it's refining if, you know, a lot of the feedback is like, okay, this is good, but here's where you might be able to improve it. And then just saying, this whole process of self-publishing is not as complex as it might seem. There's a lot of resources that I can utilize and use, and that can help me sort of get this book made and out into the public eye you know yeah self-publishing it's it's really two things it's self-discipline and then it's also you need a complete idea Mm -hmm. so you need a a full story because i've found a lot of times most of my self-publishing ideas that's what they were they were just ideas like oh this would be a cool story I would set up the page for it. Yeah, I'd never finish the word. So it really is all about the discipline to finish something and having a complete idea. And yours, your your books were complete ideas I read, um, especially the poetry one. It's full. Like, there are a lot of pages in there. And there's they're not just filler. Like, they're very good. So I would say that um, it really is just about the discipline to try and, and finish what you're doing and have a complete idea exactly and a lot of that is like you know also outlining too so like for the novel it's like focus pooler is kind of more vignettes and things like that but even that you know i kind of went in with that thought process of like okay these are sort of the memories that i've experienced that i sort of want to express and kind of put onto a page And that's a huge part of it because I think a lot of people, like you kind of mentioned, it's just you have this idea and you instantly want to just be able to like write everything out. And no matter how great the idea is, it's just kind of, I don't know, maybe there's like somebody out there that's just like this phenom and and can do that. But I know me personally, it's like even with solid ideas, I still need to have a structure, an outline, and then really flexibility because like even though you have a really you might have a really solid outline like as you kind of go things are probably going to change you know like one scenario that you might have in your head when you then go to write it out kind of might just not play out the way you wanted it to or envisioned it so you have to have that kind of flexibility to say okay you know this scene or this exchange might be a little like strange or it might be a little cheesy or just whatever it is you know just kind of processing that and then kind of going back again and and you know being flexible like that but I think that's that's the biggest to me that's probably the biggest part of writing is just 
flexibility and also, you know, the criticism part. Like, you really do have to take everything in that comes in from others and, you know, for one, be able to parse through it because, honestly, you know, there are people that are just... They might be very vocal, but their ideas might not be the best. Uh, but then there are people that'll come to you and, like, have amazing ideas. Um, you know, like, for my novel, the original title was, like, completely different from what it ended up being. But that actually came from an exchange I had with a fellow writer who had read through the novel and was like, I love it. It's just that title does just does not work. And... I was, like, struggling with it because even in my head I was like, I'm not 100% in with this title. And they kind of gave the suggestion of, like, well, let's, you know, it's about this person who does film work and everything. Why don't you try to think maybe in terms of that? And that's sort of where Focus Puller came from because, you know, in film that is a position someone is pulling focus. So, you know, in the book it's like you get these different memories. So it's like the narrator is sort of pulling focus between all these different events that makes one person. And essentially that's all the book kind of boils down to is like it's a pretty extreme character study told from a narrator but then also told from people that have been involved in this person's life at different stages of his life. So it's an interesting study in that regard. But yeah, that again, that, that all came from being flexible and understanding when you ha get an amazing note, when you get maybe an okay note, and just being able to understand how all of that can shape what you're doing to make it better. Because, you know, nobody has every point, nobody has every idea fully formed. You know, sometimes it takes that outside eye to come in and just say, hey, maybe think about this. And next thing you know, you might have, like, the most amazing chapter or most amazing title that you didn't think you were going to have before yeah i love that title it's um because it can appeal to people who both know and don't know about film so the filmmakers will know like mm -hmm. oh this that's kind of cool it's like an inside joke but then it just also sounds catchy you know to people who aren't as well versed in the background details about how people uh, make films yeah, exactly. And that's a good pivot too. Um, I did want to talk about as well your filmmaking. Like, what have you what have you done so far, and what do you hope to achieve as well with your filmmaking? Yeah, so so far in my career, I've done kind of several short films uh, over the years. Um, when I first got out of college, I did a, a senior thesis film that was pretty well received. It got into a, a number of film festivals, um, including one as far as Greece at the time that was around 2012 um, so that was that was a really cool thing to kind of accomplish and then from there it sort of turned into film is like more of a business endeavor you know I kind of moved out from my parents place money became a thing that was needed so I was doing um, actually wedding videography for a very long time and built up a pretty solid business out of that um, got me to a good place, and then I kind of realized that the, the creativity just wasn't there. Um, over the years in between, I kind of had done some like music videos that were a lot of fun and um, kind of helped out with my learning of like, you know, looking over productions and all that stuff. 
Uh, but then finally in like 2018 into 2019, I did my first like bigger short film, which was like a 20 minute piece um, that again, got into numerous film festivals, even got like an audience choice at one of the film festivals, which was pretty cool. Um, and then from there, I sort of took a step back again from doing shorts and over the course of everything again with the pandemic, uh, I started writing my first feature film, which to this day, it's complete now, and I'm actually actively working to get that one into production, um, and I have another feature film script that I wrote that is slated to be done in fully stop-motion animation, uh, which I have a few producers that are based in the UK working with me on. Um, so both those projects are kind of moving forward, but just as everything with the film world, moving forward very slowly. Um, I didn't do myself any favors by writing one film that is uh, a very dramatic, dark film that takes place in the early 90s. So it's a period piece in the indie scene, which is you know always hard to produce. And then the other one is a horror film uh, that takes place during World War One but it is stop motion. <laughs> so it's like lots of interest, but the second the stop motion piece comes in, most producers just aren't familiar with that territory. So it's a lot of, if I knew it, like I'd be on board in a heartbeat, but you know, unfortunately that's just not my forte. So it's been a cool process to kind of get to know how the animation will all work, how the character designs will all work and uh, kind of keep things going from there. So on the film side, that's sort of where it's at right now. Um, and then the last project I have is uh, associate producing a horror film that is going to be shot in L.A. over this coming summer, if everything goes according to plan. Um, that one has been fully financed and everything, so it'll be my first time in L.A., and then it'll be the first time working on a, you know, it's, it's still low budget, but... A full feature horror film so really excited for that to be coming up um so yeah that's all the stuff that's kind of on the horizon awesome congratulations i mean especially Thank the stop motion you. idea those are so hard to to fully realize and you know what what was the last one that was really major is like Shaun the sheep um the pirates band of misfits like wallace and gromit mm -hmm. i mean there aren't a lot of there aren't there just aren't a lot of stop motion studios i mean it's really cool i hope it gets fully um realized and i hope i would look forward to seeing it that sounds yeah, really man. cool yeah it's, it's definitely getting there it's that one's been exciting um but yeah it is it's like you know even once we get to the financing piece it's still you're like a year out from production because it just takes so long to do the animation and in the story as it's written right now it certainly isn't skimping on the set pieces and the action and the bloodiness of it all. So it'll be cool. I mean, yeah, if it does get realized, it will legitimately be the first ever stop motion horror uh, period piece. So if nothing else, <laughs> I can, you know, uh, say if this gets made, you know, it's, it'll be the first of its kind, at least in that regard which is kind of exciting to think about, you know, that nobody has really done a full-feature horror period film um, up until this point. So, yeah, really excited for that one. That's one for the Guinness World Record books. That's, That's impressive. 
<laughs> I say, yeah, that is, that's what I mean. It'll just be really, really interesting to like at least have that. Like, you know, if if nothing else, I'll be able to say, hey, you know, I helped uh, make sh- this first thing happen. And, you know, it's one of those things that'll be interesting to see what happens because I feel like it'll either be a cult film that just, it like does really terribly at the box office and it just turns into a purely cult film that like catches on as the years go by. Or it could be one of those things that like really helps bring into focus more like horror animation and more like adult animation in general kind of coming more into the public consciousness. Um, You know, sort of like what happened kind of with how Paranormal Activity was that film that really showed like, you know, in addition to Blair Witch was kind of the precursor to that, but that whole, you know, you can make this horror film that just has this original thought behind it, but doesn't have to be big budget and, you know, it can just explode in popularity. So my, you know, my dreamer inside would say, hopefully it takes that trajectory where it's like, wow, this film came out, did really well. And then all of a sudden we got all this influx of like, horror animation that people were kind of like really into or something like that so that's that's my uh my dreamer cap coming on (laughs) well that would be ideal i mean most animation for adults is geared towards comedy like robot chicken you know Mm -hmm. family guy kind of stuff there isn't a lot of serious adult animation um people kind of just go there for the jokes and the kind of adult humor you can't do um, with a lot on TV, with a lot of live action. Um, exactly. And they go there for the slapstick and the violent humor and stuff. But it would be really cool to see something serious done with stop motion. That would, that would be a first. It would be new, and it would be exciting to, to see. It would be. It definitely would be an innovation, and I think it's yeah. really cool. Um, did you see yourself, as a kid, did you see yourself ever getting to the point where you felt like you were going to be an innovator in um in the genre i mean growing up for me like i was always into uh the old school like godzilla movies i can remember just sitting there with like all the vhs tapes that i could find um that had like you know godzilla versus mothra godzilla versus mecha godzilla like all of those you know kind of cheesy films from back in the day and I love that because it was like it was for me able to like open up this imagination so kind of before you know losing my cousin and friend to cystic fibrosis and all that it was like you know this fun childhood kind of exercise that I would do of you know making up different stories of Godzilla versus some other monster that I would sort of create in my mind and So I always had this, like, hope, I guess, that something like that, like, I'd be able to make something like that happen. I just never felt like it was even feasible. Like, that was the crazy thing, is, like, it really wasn't until, uh, like, I had my really close friend in high school who was also into film, and he was going to school for that, that I felt like, okay, this is like a track you can take in life. This is something you can do. Um, Because I was kind of just so innately taught to just focus on like what's going to be the path that is going to, you know, make money that you can just have this easy sort of life of making enough to buy a house, have a car, you know, all the cookie cutter stuff. Um, And 
so film didn't really register writing didn't really register uh and so it's just taken me a long time but to really kind of get to the heart of that i think yes like even growing up i felt like i wanted to accomplish bigger things in my life i just never felt strong enough or felt confident enough to be able to do that and it really hasn't been until these last like four or five years that i've kind of sat myself down and said like look this is what your dreams are this is what you've always wanted to do let's just kind of try to make this happen and it's work like that's the thing i think is the other side of the coin for a lot of people out there that are trying to write or trying to get their name out there with writing or things like that is it's just you're just constantly doing things you're constantly you know writing is really it's if you had a pie chart of the creative like endeavors I would I always say like writing is that little sliver <laughs> that you just kind of sit down and you have fun and then the rest of it is like all like either business or networking or just like every other layer of the pie that comes into play and so I think that's the disconnect for a lot of people I meet is like they they see me and they say oh it's so cool that you're writing and it's so cool that like you're able to do this and I'm just like yes I will totally agree with that hands down but like that is just the very smallest piece of it you know um, the rest of it is just kind of so key but it, that is where, like, to me, the the actual work part of it comes in. Because writing is just fun. Like, you know, and I just sit down at night and I'm just tapping away on a laptop. Like, I'm in, you know, that's cloud nine. The rest of it is, like, you know, you have to narrow into what demographics you're thinking about, like, getting into or what who you're trying to talk to, appeal to. You know, all these little nuanced things that sort of come with it. Um, especially when you're trying to do the route of like self-publishing and building up a name recognition and reaching out to studios and executive producers and producers and directors. It's like, you know, you, you just have to be all of those other things, all of those, that personable person that's networking and doing all that outreach. Yeah, it is a lot. Um, people tell the, the one of the number one things I hear from people who are in the industry or trying to get into it is that it's not, you know, glamorous. There definitely is a lot of work. You have to put yourself out there. You have to take a lot of risk. You have to ask a ton of people to read your thing, <laughs> you know, read yep. the script. <laughs> Please look at this thing. Um, you know, here's, it's a pitch. It's a whole beautifully packaged pitch and you have to tie it with a very pretty bow. You, you know, you can't, you don't just, put your script up on flagpoles and, you know, just expect the biggest studio to, um, to grab it and mm -hmm. golden light pours from the pages. Like, no, you really have to tell people why they should invest their money into your specific project, um, into your vision of a certain story. And so it, it is a lot of work from, from what I hear. And, you know, that's part of the reason why, a lot of people probably find it to be a really big grind more so than they expected. Yeah, I would say 110%. Like, uh, you know, one of the biggest things I've tried to watch out for over the years is, you know, every now and again, I'll get people kind of reaching out that are coming 
right out of film school and stuff. And, um, you know, I'll just tell them that, like, you really just have to, like, kind of take take those risks now, you know, because, like, I think, I feel like my kind of path that I ended up taking and, and what I kind of would feel like, you know, it's not something I regret, but it's, you know, that fear of just going to a, a new area to try to network better and things like that. Like, I had a very like a number of people I knew that kind of went out to LA immediately after film school and were able to get in with studios and stuff like that. And, you know, even now are still kind of working out in the, in that region. Uh, but for me, it was like, you know, you'd also hear those stories of people who would go out there and just not find success and it would just be really tough and they would end up coming back because they just couldn't, you know, get any traction or anything. So, as much as the one side of my head was always like, look, like, this is this is what we got to do. Like, we just got to go out there. There was that other side that was like, well, you know, we can do that, but do we really have, like, everything lined up? Do we have, you know, a place to stay? Like, all these factors that sort of played into it. And so that's always sort of kept me from taking the, the 110% dive that, you know... Like I said, if I feel like I would have, maybe things would be a little bit different. But, you know, I'm also at this stage in my life, and I'm very content with where I am. And I feel like, even despite that, the timing has sort of worked out pretty perfectly, uh, you know, out of probably pure luck. That, you know, we do now live in this time where Zoom meetings and virtual and all this stuff have just become so commonplace that really area doesn't matter as much as it used to uh, as long as you're, you know, still kind of doing the outreach and meeting people virtually and staying in contact with them and all of those things, you can still kind of keep building those pieces up. And I feel like that's kind of been my, like, subconscious mission is to kind of, like, show that to a lot of people that, you know, are out there kind of trying to figure out like how to make it in the industry and stuff like that. Um, because I've talked to many, many producers that are, you know, in that same boat where they're just saying, look, like you can go out to LA and, and, you know, sure. You, if you know how to network and stuff, it's going to be great. But on the flip side, like, you know, you can just do this thing virtually, you know, you just have to be aware of time zone differences and little things like that. But, you know, here I am, having conversations with producers in the UK about a film I'm working on and then in the same breath like talking to people in LA about the project and then talking to financiers that are like based in the Southeast Asia region you know it's like so all of these things that you used to kind of have to be very mobile and go to do all this stuff has really kind of trickled down to hey what what time works for you get a calendar invite and then we're off to the races. Um, so the industry has really sort of grown and developed, as I feel like most have, as a result of, like, you know, everything that we've kind of been facing the last couple of years. Yeah, the technology is really in a place now where you might as well. You might as well do it this way because mm -hmm. it honestly also gives people more time because now you can have more meetings per day than you would have if you had to actually go out to LA to meet with people about one film that might not even see 
the other side of the camera. So, exactly. you know, you wasted all that time and the travel and everything. So, honestly, I think this is the best way they could have done it. Um, the best way they could do a lot of these meetings is online anyway. So, the yep. technological benefit actually it probably gives you more opportunities and it probably gives you more projects that might see the light of day. Yeah, I mean, you know, what really has kind of happened is especially with the industry is like twofold, you know, one, you have this bigger democratization of the industry in that, you know, the, the technology has grown so fast that, you know, I've seen great short films that were shot with somebody's iPhone at this point. Um, so the barrier to entry is nowhere near what it used to be. Um, even when I started film school back in 2008, you know, I, we still had, cameras that had the hd like the hdv tapes that you would have to transfer digitally and the only way you would transfer an hdv tape was you'd have to sit there with the deck and just play back everything you shot and digitize it and then you could start editing so if you shot like an hour and a half of footage you had to sit there for an hour and a half as the footage all logged into the computer um you know and that was 2008 which even then it was kind of like a little bit behind with where we were technology wise but just the amount of growth that we've been able to take with that um and just the ability to do it has really opened the floodgates on who can create where these stories can come from which is amazing uh the flip side of that is of course now you have the network of people has just grown so dramatically that it makes the barrier to entry way, way harder because, you know, most places studio-wise that are sizable, you know, they're not even going to take any kind of pitch materials or scripts or anything um, unsolicited. And most of them, like, it's just listed right there on the website. Like, hey, you can contact us, but if you send us an email with any kind of materials, like, we are immediately trashing it. We're not even going to look at it. Um, because, you know, at this point you kind of either need a, a really strong referral from somebody who is connected to somebody else, or you're going to need like an agent that has connections to this place and is able to, to talk up a script and say, Hey, this isn't a waste of your time. Check it out. Uh, and even then it's like, I've talked to a couple agents that are based in both New York and LA and they've said, you know, we have these awesome scripts that we totally love, and it's just, you know, we'll send them to places like uh, Fox at one time or, you know, Disney or Netflix and stuff, and it's just even with the agency backing, you know, these places are getting so many pitches and so many scripts that, you know, it just really has to be like almost this elite-level um, story and well-polished script to get that sort of attention and then even still, like, it, you know, it's such a fickle, fickle industry that, you know, the smallest of things can totally derail it. You know, let's say you get a director and then there's creative differences or you get a producer and they have their own ideas that they're trying to throw into it. So there's just so many factors that really play out. Uh, when you break it down, it's, it's pretty amazing that any film ever has ever been made uh, because it's such a, a balancing act from start to finish um, that I think most people don't think about that side of it either is that it's like even when you feel like you're in the home stretch you have financing you're ready to go 
there's still so many factors that just can play out throughout the entire process of getting a film made. It's kind of astounding. Yeah, have you ever read Terry Rosio's writings on his website? I think it's wordplayer.com. No, I haven't had a chance to read that. That sounds pretty cool, though. Yeah, I would check that out. He um, He's obviously the, the highest-grossing screenwriter uh, in human history. He wrote Shrek and Pirates and one of the Godzillas and um, Aladdin, The Lion King, I think. Uh, he wrote a ton of things. Wow. He he had a hand in a lot of things with his partner, Ted Elliott, as well. And okay. um, he has the most honest blog about screenwriting that I've ever read in my life. He just details in insane depth how, you know, what you're going to face, what you need to do. Uh, the kind of things that are going to be working against you, the kind of ways you can get screwed even, like you said, you're all the way to the, to the finish line, and just as you're about to touch it, it all crumbles down and just disappears because of one little thing, one domino that got pulled mm -hmm. away, and then nothing else can go forward. So, you know, he, I would I would check it out. I rec recommend our, our listeners and um, everyone to check that out. It's, if they're interested in learning about screenwriting and learning about contracts and how to read the fine print and the oh, language yeah. in the contract because a lot of those also um are tough and you know he was just detailing the craziest issues like multi-billion dollar company like disney was finding loopholes to keep him from earning royalties on toy sales they would oh, make goodness. the black pearl sales gray because in his screenplays he specifically said um, the Black Pearl is a pirate ship with black sails, so they would put gray sails on the toys so they didn't have to pay the man his <laughs> wow. royalties. You know, just crazy things like that that you face. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's very in-depth. It's There's a lot of language in there that people probably wouldn't understand um, if they don't um, if they don't know much about screenwriting or the film industry. A lot mm -hmm. of terms will kind of fly over your head, but there is Google, so... <laughs> It, but it is it is very interesting. I didn't mean to sidebar too much, but it's it's very um, eye opening. It's a little scary, but it's also helpful. So it's a really helpful um, guide if you are interested in learning as much about it as possible, or if you have scripts that you are trying to shop around. And they also do have a chat forum, so he actually has oh, answered cool. a lot of questions that people have had, and they've shown him. Um, their treatments and he's helped them tweak them he they've showed him their contracts and he's kind of helped them translate the contract <laughs> so yeah i mean honestly i would check it out if it's still running it's like a 1998 website it's <laughs> um it's it hasn't been updated but i believe it's still running and i believe he's still a little a little bit active on there so yeah it's a really That's interesting awesome. resource if anybody's interested yeah i mean it's it, it has been really kind of like eye-opening seeing from my own process you know of just like with the one script I have um, you know I had reached out to a producer and we had this amazing phone conversation you know he was kind of like really excited about it and, and what it could be just from like the pitch deck and you know we were talking about like hitting up producers who had worked on that film um, Minari he like had connections with the people who like helped get that off the ground and was just really gung-ho and like had connections to HBO Max 
and you know send the script over and just kind of didn't hear from him after that unfortunately um one of those things where it was probably maybe something in the script itself that just either didn't resonate or maybe felt like was too dark of an element or something but that's that's where i always say that's the fickle part is you know it could be something as small as that like you know just saying oh this is this gets into really dark territory you know we don't really see where it might be able to make a big like return on our investment or things like that uh, it makes it really difficult and so that's sort of like the nature that you're facing is like you want to have this artistic outlet but you also have to be cognizant of you know what an audience is going to take to what the tastes are right now for people because um, I even, you know, in my small sphere of of uh, people that I chat with and stuff, I've been sent scripts sometimes that, like, you know, just read, like, something from a, a different era of filmmaking for the detriment of the, the kind of story itself. And, you know, it's something that you kind of sit there and realize, like, this could be made, but, like, is it really going to happen? You don't know. So, like, that's also the reality of just, like, understanding, you know, when you have an idea and when you have something that you're trying to shop around, like, is this in the right place at the right time? Do I maybe need to tweak this to, like, change an ending or change a plot story that's going to help me then to get, like, financing and stuff like that? So it's this weird, again, it's that balance of, like, artistic you know integrity versus you know having a business mindset and trying to get into an industry that is entirely fickle um and that's why i'd say one of the best pieces of advice i've ever gotten was you know have multiple scripts and that's sort of what inspired me to then you know write the horror film that i've been working on because you never know when you're having a conversation with someone they might say okay, you have this drama, that's cool, but, like, really right now I'm looking for a horror film. And then you're like, well, okay, I have a horror film. Check it out. And that might be the thing that, you know, gets that into the next step. Um, so I always try to be, like, kind of hyper-aware of, you know, what people are looking for. And also, like, if I talk to somebody and they're not feeling one script, kind of maybe, you know, bringing the conversation into, well, hey, I have this other thing. And like I said, I couldn't tell you how many times that that's kept the conversation going and then has gotten, you know, steps progressed with the production uh, over over this last, like, year and a half of really hardcore pitching and just outreach overall. Yeah, definitely. You want to have a wheel of fortune. So yep. you can just spin the wheel. Like, if, if they don't <laughs> like what you're saying, just say, all right, well, what do you guys want? You know, because I actually have <laughs> exactly what you need. Just spin the wheel and um, I'll, you know, I'll give it to you. Do you want a comedy? Do you want a rom-com? Do you want a period piece? Do you want something contemporary? You know, do you want uh, something more uh, political drama? Do you want more of like a family thing? You know, what, what do you guys want? Uh, just spin the wheel. So having exactly. as many possible different projects um, completed at once, I think, is the best way for anyone in any level level of filmmaking to 
not be wasting their time because time is the most valuable thing you have because you could waste years on something that doesn't end up getting produced and made. So you could develop something for years. And if you bank everything on that, then, you know, if it falls through, then you're picking up the pieces of your life in a way, not just your, your, your project or career. You're literally, you poured your heart and soul and your life into this and it's not happening (laughs) and you're going to get evicted. (laughs) So it's like, have a bunch of different things at once. And, you know, what would you, what would you leave people on? Um, what, what would be like the biggest, like final message you would want to send to film students, um, independent filmmakers, writers, anyone, um, and then also anyone who has to overcome something extraordinarily unfair too, as well, like, um, a health condition or whatever, um, a, a death of a family member or just something going on, you know, it could be world events too, like, um, like a disease or giant virus that makes everybody have to be holed up in their home. So what would, what would the big final message be, uh, that you would try to give to everyone? Yeah. I mean, as far as like just one kind of big message, I think it's easy to kind of have the cliche of just like, you know, believe in yourself and, and kind of don't, don't give up on the dreams and stuff. Um, but I think kind of, you know, it, it echoes what I've been, you know, sort of mentioning about to this point, which is just like follow what you are passionate about and chase after, you know, those things and find those things that make you happy and really go after those. But also being aware of, you know, where things are going, you know, don't chase things but chase things smartly I guess is kind of what I'm trying to say uh you know if if the dream is to be a huge Hollywood producer you know yes LA is probably where you need to be but don't just run out there and do things on a whim you know you you have to have plans as well in place and you know there's times where you hear about like these celebrities that or out there and they're like they were basically broke and they had this harrowing rise to the top it's like most of those are honestly the exception to the rule not the rule uh what in reality what it usually takes for most people is years and years and years and years of building up a network and getting people behind what you're trying to do and doing things the best that you can do them you know don't don't also don't you know skimp on that part of it i think a lot of people out there and especially in the art field can have this tendency to just kind of want to like rush through things or just kind of not put as much effort as they could and you know that shows at the end of the day especially with something like writing it's like you really just have to sit yourself down and like make it the best it can possibly be um because you you are standing in a crowd of a lot of people um so don't go into anything just like rashly you know really think about what you're trying to do and do it in the best smart way you can you know don't don't ever just kind of do this whole blind jumps because like i said i think it's it's possible that you can kind of build something out of it but 
I'd say, you know, the the better way to kind of go about life in general is just to, you know, have have a plan of attack. Strategy is the key and so many things. And, you know, this whole scene of filmmaking and writing is no different than any of that. Yeah, it's great advice and um it's very stoic. I like it. It's um, you know, know thyself. So know what know who you are, know what you want and know what you want to make. And then also have the wisdom to know, you know, like you said, cautious recklessness. So, you know, if you want to take exactly. risks, do it, but don't um, derail everything on one mistake. You know, play your cards right. Um, and yeah, gamble, but don't um, don't get addicted to the gambling, <laughs> I think. Sounded like really <laughs> good that, advice. Yeah, that's really good. I like that. Very true. Yeah, to have have the cards out on the table, but yeah, don't be... Don't be rolling those dice like every five seconds because, yeah, it's just like I said, I think there are people that that make it through those scenarios. But, man, the amount of stories that you don't hear of everyone that sort of doesn't make it through those scenarios is like pretty astronomical. So always try to bear that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so what what should the listeners um, check out? Um, Put your plugs in. Um, I already read your books, but uh, I want I want more people too. I thought they were very good. Um, so yeah, just just throw everything out there. What are the titles, and where can they check out your films as well? You know, once they're out. Yeah, so uh, definitely go check out my debut novel, which is called Focus Puller. Um, you can get that. It's available right now um, on Amazon even for pre-order if it's after June 6th it will be totally available in both uh, ebook and print copy Um, and then I'm hoping to kind of get it out there for indie bookstores and stuff like that so who knows if you frequent indie bookstores in your city it might be on the shelves there as well Um, and then I have my last book which was a poetry collection called Just a Boy Blaming Himself which again available on Amazon in both ebook and paperback format, um, and then you know kind of check out my website, which is twotonyproductions.com. Uh, that's where I'll have you know all of my film updates. It has like my past short films I've done, my music videos, stuff like that. Uh, but then it's also you know I'm I'm on there pretty much daily uh, with a blog that I run. That you can check out updates about other films, other indie filmmakers, um, other indie authors. So it's kind of this cool little like network of uh, just being able to check out not only my stuff, but then the community as a whole, um, which has been a really cool kind of mission that I've been taking on the last like two years of just uh, giving voice to a lot of people out there that are also doing really cool indie films and really cool books and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the website, check out the books and, you know, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all those good things too. It's all kind of connected from the website. So feel free to hit me up any of those places or just drop me a line through email or something like that. Always happy to chat more and sort of give any advice out to people out there as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you very much, everyone. This was Daniel Hess, a independent filmmaker author and overcomer of adversity thanks a lot for coming on man thanks so much for having me it's been a complete pleasure oh the pleasure was all mine it was was very good thank you
Awesome. Thank you so much.